Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. We're going to uh, be looking at Psalm 145 today. I'm not going to read it to you. It's a decent-sized psalm, so you can be seated. Just keep the word out. Uh, God laid this upon my heart, uh, and just asking for his will to be done uh, today. So Psalm 145 is believed to be the last psalm that David wrote. It's the concluding psalm of the 75 that are in the book of Psalms that is attributed to David. And um, it starts what some commentators say is a crescendo. From Psalm 145 to Psalm 150, it ends the whole book, the longest book in the Bible, with this crescendo of praise. A crescendo of praise. Now, I don't know if all of you, if, if you have a music background, you'll know what a crescendo is. For those who don't, you may not know what a crescendo is. Uh, but a crescendo is when you start soft and then you elevate the sound louder and louder and louder. Now, uh, I was a band for a lot of years, and the crescendo at the end of a song is used to put the exclamation point on. Mm-hmm. So when you're playing a song, you have a uh, this beautiful uh, musical piece, and it has highs and lows, and it induces emotion, and you know, there's, there's, it just flows up and down, and there's slow, and there's meaning. You know what I'm talking about? It's just if you've listened to any kind of classical music, you know what I'm talking about. If you played in orchestra or band or whatever, it just flows, and there's all kinds of peaks and valleys throughout the songs. But then it almost never fails that as you reach the end of the song, they have this crescendo where the band suddenly or the orchestra will get silent, like really soft and plain. And then all of a sudden, everyone in unison builds up strong as the sound increases and then suddenly cuts off. And that's the end. And for me, a lot of times that brings a chill, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck, when all of a sudden the woodwinds and the strings and the brass and the percussion, they all come together at once to bring the conclusion of the song. So when we look at Psalm 145 and as we look through the the remaining psalms, through Psalm uh, 150, uh, imagine that crescendo. Psalm 145 is the beginning of putting the exclamation point on this book of songs. It is the start of the crescendo to build up, and uh, the psalms are filled with worship, but it's also filled with prayer. Right? Uh, David calling out, psalmist calling out, uh, saying, God, help me, rescue me, have mercy on me, protect me from my enemies. 
And then there's lots of honoring God and worshiping God and declaring His might and His righteousness and His glory and encouraging others to worship Him. The Psalms are filled with highs and lows where the authors reveal their innermost thoughts, both in their fears, but also in their trust and their praise of God. And so it makes sense that this book of songs would end with this crescendo of praise. The exclamation point. Imagine the book of Psalms as one big, beautiful piece of music. Played by the finest orchestra, the finest band that you could possibly imagine. And the conductor is God. Hallelujah. And he's conducting these songwriters and these psalmists and these poets. As they go from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, through the ebbs and the flows, and the hills and the valleys, because Psalm, the book of Psalms is not just songs about great times, it's songs of repentance. David wrote Psalm, I believe it's 53, repenting for his behavior with Bathsheba, right? He wrote other songs of repentance. And confessing worry and doubt and fear, begging for deliverance from enemies. And those are all part of this symphony. Just like our lives. Our lives are this symphony of ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And God's the conductor. The good, the bad, the amazing, the hurt, the pain. All of those things make up your life's song. Mm -hmm. And we have such a beautiful picture of that in the book of Psalms. I encourage you, even though it's a daunting book, that you would read it and take your time reading it. And imagine the authors as you read. If you've got a commentary, many of the commentaries will start off with the, who the author is or if they're unknown. And then the you know idea behind the song. Right? And all the themes. And, and, and it's just a beautiful, like for me, I guess, coming from that musical background, that I just love that picture. And so this song that is talking about the love and the mercy and the grace and the protection and the forgiveness of God, now as it closes out, it's the crescendo, the exclamation point. And as you would expect, it ends. Uh, six psalms in a row, six songs in a row, six poems in a row, glorifying God. There really isn't any doubt or discouragement. There's no asking for forgiveness, really. It's just praising God. Hallelujah. Honoring God. Worshiping God. So let's look now at Psalm 145. A praise of David, a song of God's majesty and Love. Now remember, David, the king of Israel, is writing this. I extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So let's look now at verse 1. David was the king of Israel, arguably one of the greatest kings of Israel. Uh, and he, uh, he's saying that God is his king. The king of Israel, the king of this nation, 
One of the greatest kings of Israel, if not the greatest, honored and revered by the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, he's calling God his king. He literally is the king of kings. Yes. Right? And so David is acknowledging that even though he holds the earthly title of king, there is one greater than him that is not only the king of Israel, but the king of him, but is also the king of all the world, Amen. of all the universe, of everything that he can see. Amen. There's one greater. That should give you and I comfort that no matter who is king, God is the greater, Amen. the king above all kings, Amen. the president above all presidents, the dictator above all dictators, right? Yes. The leader above all leaders. He is the one that rules. Amen. And they all answer to him. And David the king extols God, exalts God, honors God as king. And he says, I will bless your name forever and ever, every day, I will bless you. Every day. And I believe when David says every day, I'll tell you why. Because David had a period of his life where his life was pretty stinky. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, by you and I, uh, don't compare to some of the stuff that David had to go through. Now, some of us may. But in general, I can tell you from personal experience what David went through, my life hasn't touched. Right? He was anointed king uh, for, as a shepherd boy. You know, he defeated Goliath. He led the armies of Israel. And then one day the king turned against him and he spent years wandering the wilderness in the lands of the enemies of Israel, hiding, playing hide and seek from the king. Playing the game of his life that he would not be caught or killed by the king who was trying to kill him. He was captured. He had lost his family. Right? He went through trials during this time. The enemy took everyone in Ziklag and burned it to the ground and rode off with his wives and his children and, and his men, they said, wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. This dude went through some stuff, but he lived the life. This, even when those guys wanted to stone him for their families being taken and for all their livestock being taken, all their possessions being taken, the Bible says that David took the linen ephod and he sought God. So when David says here that I will bless him every day, you can believe it. Because that man went through something. He faced life's difficulties. He hurt. He knew what it was to suffer for the consequences of his sin. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he lost his son. So he knew what it was to suffer consequences. He knew what it was to sin against God, but then to be forgiven by God. He knew what it was to suffer the consequences that were placed upon him because of poor decisions, but still honor God. But in everything, he exalted God in his life. God was the center of his life in spite of everything that he went through, everything that he faced. Even when he messed up and had to suffer God's judgment and consequences, he still honored God. He still honored God. He says, Lord, and God is great and he is greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. 
You and I cannot possibly understand the nature, the love, the goodness, or the greatness of God. I love what Tony Evans says is that God is so large it would take an eternity to know him. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that eternity has no beginning and no end, so therefore, even in eternity, we would never fully know God. Eternity never ends. So even you and I in eternity will still be learning of God's character Amen. and learning of his goodness and experiencing his greatness. The, it's written that his mercies are new every morning. Can you imagine eternity learning something new about God every second, right? All, you know, all, throughout all time, learning and experiencing him in a new way and still not fully able to comprehend everything that he is and all he is and all he has and his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. <clears throat> That's amazing to me. It's unsearchable. It's unexplainable. Yes. We get to experience it on some small level, but even when we spend eternity with him, we will never fully know or understand his goodness or his greatness. That's how big our God is. That's amazing to me. I don't know about you, but when I try to contemplate eternity, it gives me a headache. I remember as a kid, I would sit and try to think about eternity, eternity, eternity. And you just cannot process it. Amen. That's how big God is. Yes. He's bigger than eternity. Amen. He's bigger than infinity. And we still, even after however many thousands of years in eternity, we still won't understand him Amen. and his greatness fully. Our, our one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. As we have a spiritual legacy to live to our leave to our children, they need to see us worshiping and declaring and praising God for everything that He is, everything that He's done, and everything that He's promised. They need to see us worshiping and honoring God, not just on yes. Sunday mornings. Amen. They Amen. need to see us at home honoring Amen. God in our yes. prayer. Amen. They need to see us at home honoring God in our praise. One generation needs to demonstrate praise of God to the next generation. Amen. One generation needs to share the works of God in their life with the next generation. Right. And they pass it down from generation to generation to generation. But what's happened in our world today, and we saw it happen with the nation of Israel when they went into the promised land, is they stopped passing down the wondrous works of God. Yes. It began, it became numb to the power and the presence of God. I went to uh, the football game and it was freezing and it was so cold my hands went numb. You ever have numb hands or numb body part where you can prick it or your hand fall asleep? You can't feel anything? What happens to people over time is we become numb to the goodness and the greatness of God. If you and I have been a Christian for many years, it's possible for us to become numb to the goodness and the greatness of God. And so instead of praising God to the next generation, all that we find ourselves doing is complaining about God to the next generation. Yeah. Bless him, Lord. Yes. 
right? So instead of demonstrating praise and glory and honor and thankfulness and gratefulness for what God has done, and not just what God has done in our generation, but what our parents passed down to us, the generation before us, and the generation before them, and the generation before them, you know what I'm saying? Pass down, pass down, pass down, pass down, so that we then pass that to our next generation. Your children, your grandchildren. Yes, thank you, Jesus. We need to pass down the mighty works of God and praise Him and pass them down to the next generation. Let us not become numb to the greatness, the glorious works, the Grace of God, so that all our children here are complaints and not prayers. I have to tell you that I've been in church since I was five years old. And I will tell you that there's been probably, ashamedly, more times than not that my children have heard about me complaining about God rather than worshiping God. I'm sure I am probably the only person in here that has ever had that problem. And I'm ashamed of that. Right? But we need to strive. Yes. That when God does something good, Amen. our children know that He did something <laughs> right. good. Amen. Amen. We tell them about grandma. I've told my kids about my grandmother. My grandmother and I had a, a, a very interesting relationship to say the least. But I can remember the one thing that she taught me, and I have tried to tell my kids this story and pass it down to them. As I can remember when she lived with us the last years of her life, that in, uh, my bedroom was adjacent to hers. And every night before she went to bed, she prayed. And she called out the names of all of her children and all of her grandchildren. Every single night, she called out their names for them to be saved. And that has stuck with me my whole life. All of the bad memories have been overrun by that one great memory. That's passing it from one generation to another. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? And I've told my kids that story of my grandmother. That's passing it down. Yes. Right? I mean, today we're seeing salvations in my family. I believe that started with the prayers of a grandmother and a grandfather who were praying for kids and then grandchildren that they hadn't even met yet and great-grandchildren that they hadn't even met yet. That spiritual legacy that we need to make sure our kids know. You had a praying grandmother. You had a praying grandfather. You had a praying great-grandfather. You had a praying great-grandmother. I want to know the goodness and the greatness of God. One generation shall praise your works to another as to declare your mighty acts. Make sure that you and I trumpet God's mighty acts above our disappointments. Amen. 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 Our praise should always be louder than our grumbling. Amen. Our worship should always be louder than our complaining. Yes. Right. Right? Yeah. I know growing up, my mom, I can honestly say this, I did not know what happened within the politics of a church. I did not know. She shielded us. She never talked bad about any leader. She never talked bad about any person in the church. She only talked about the good stuff. We only saw the good stuff, right? Well, needless to say, when I took my first position at a church, my eyes were suddenly open to all of the nastiness that can happen behind the scenes. 
But it is an awesome lesson to me that my mother so protected us that she only talked about the good things that God did and never focused on the bad things. She never complained to us about my dad dying when I was 10 years old. She never complained to us when we didn't have enough money. She never complained any of those things to us. We didn't know. All we knew was when God provided. When he honored. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that the praise was louder than the problem. Right. And that's what you and I must remember. Yes. Let our worship, our praise be greater than the problems that we are facing. Our children are watching and our grandchildren are watching. Pass it from one generation to another. Let this next generation be the change this world needs. Because you and I, as followers of Christ, taught them to honor God first above self. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. If you don't keep a prayer journal, keep a prayer journal. And write your prayer requests in that journal. And then as time goes on, write that when God answers those prayers. I must confess to you that I have started and stopped prayer journals a million times since in my life, right? Since I was a teenager. But I will tell you that now I am striving desperately to keep one because I want to see God answer prayer and then be able to look back upon it and say, God did this. Amen. And not just simply take it for granted. So you keep a prayer journal so that you can do what the psalmist declares. I shall utter the memory of your great goodness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you demonstrated your goodness, when you answered that prayer, right. when I prayed that prayer for 10 years, and then finally you delivered in your timing and in the circumstances. And don't just write that he answered, write how he answered. Because how he answered will match up to why you had to wait so long. Or why you went through what you went through. So that you'll know that God worked in this way, in this situation, for this reason. So for the next request, you know God has a plan. So don't just write in the Bible. They wrote the procedure. Right? So for example, when Moses came and they came to the edge of the Red Sea. And they had the Pharaoh on the back and they had the sea in the front. It doesn't just say the sea parted and they walked across. What does it say? It gives you the details. The people grumbled, said we ought to just stay. Right? They whined and they complained. We're just going to die out here. And then it says Moses. Moses went before the Lord. Right. Thank you, Jesus. And called upon God. Right. Thank you, Jesus. And God told him what to do. Raise up your staff. Right. You say, now why is that important? He raised up his staff. He water split in two. And they crossed over. Well, there was another time God asked him to use his staff. Right? God had a habit of using that man's staff. Right? God had a habit of him doing strange things. And asking him to do things that maybe you and I might think were weird. There was this time when they were getting bitten by serpents. And God told them to erect a, sta erect a statue of a serpent up in the middle of the camp. And when they looked upon it, they would be healed. Sounds weird to you and I. Yeah. One time God asked him to speak to a work, what rock. And one time he asked him to strike a rock. 
Right? Yes. Right? Uh, God asked him one time to throw a staff on the ground and it became a stake. Right? There's a reason why, you know, when they came to the Jordan River and they had to cross over. It's very specific what they did. It doesn't just say the water split. It's very specific. Uh, Joshua, uh, they came and God said, let the priests go in first. And when the priests walked in, their water split and they the priests stood in the middle while everyone else walked around them. As long as they were there with the ark, the water was split. Mm -hmm. There was a method to God's madness. Always write down the request and then how he answered. So that you can look back. So the next time you're waiting and you're worrying and you're questioning and you're wondering, you can look back and say, I will worship, honor, praise you of the memories of your goodness. Amen. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Everything God does is done out of mercy. Yes. Nothing he does is done vindictively. God is not vindictive. Amen. Now in the Old Testament, and I've struggled this with myself, the God of the Old Testament seems a whole lot different than the God of the New Testament, doesn't he? In the Old Testament, there was lots of judgment and punishment and hurt, but never was it done vindictively. God is not vindictive. Everything God does, he does, is, he does because he's just and he's mercy. Yes. His mercy. When he punished Israel, it was out of mercy, right. not vindictiveness. Right. Right? When he took Israel, when the nation split into two and ten, and the top was Israel and the bottom was Judah, he took Israel captive and they were taken away and destroyed. Why? Not because he was vindictive, because of his tender mercy. Because he had a plan for them in the future. And he loved them too much to allow them to continue with the sinful leadership and the sin that was happening in their lives and their idol worship and their abandoning of God. He, 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 he loved them too much. And through his tender mercy, he exacted judgment because he had a plan in the future, which is to bring them back together. When Judah was carried away by Babylon, it seems brutal and it seems awful, but it was an act of God's mercy that he allowed that to happen so that someday down the road, there would be a nation again. Right. And they would understand the goodness and the greatness and the mercy and the love of God. Amen. At that time, I'm sure they questioned God's love and mercy. Right? Right. Amen. They didn't think that he was being merciful. And there are going to be times in your and my life when we're questioning God's mercy through what you and I face. But it says all of his works are done in tender mercy. Now in my humanness, that's hard for me to understand. When someone is sick and dies. When a child dies far too young. Right? It's hard to understand how that could be God's tender mercy. Someday I won't know until I get to heaven why that would God's tender mercy. Why he allowed that to happen. But I know from his character and from what's revealed that everything he does is done in love and goodness and mercy. Yes. And he's never vindictive. Amen. And I will tell you, I've lived a large portion of my life believing God was vindictive. He was going to punish and get back revenge. But God is not in the revenge business. That's right. He's in the mercy business. Amen. The growing business. The nurturing business. Yes. 
So no matter what you and I are going through, take heart, read this, and say, He's slow to anger. He's great in mercy. And remember what He's done for you in the past. All your works shall praise you, O Lord. And your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The kingdom of heaven is eternal. God's kingdom is beyond eternity. It's beyond man. It's beyond creation. And it is everlasting. Right? It, it, it will never be dashed. It will never be destroyed. It will never be overrun. No one will ever besiege it because God's kingdom is eternal. It's everlasting. You and I never have to worry that, you know, somehow God is never uh, not going to be in charge any longer, that he's going to be usurped or his authority is going to be uh, usurped in, in, in any way because his kingdom is everlasting. He is a kingship that will never change. Amen. So that should give us peace. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Amen. That should give us peace to know that God is always in control. He's always king. Yes, he is. Always king. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the world looks like, he's still king. Amen. Yes. He's still king. And he's a king of mercy. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. When you and I feel like we're going to stumble, he upholds us. Yes. When we feel like we can't do it anymore, he can hold us up. Amen. He can keep us from falling keep us from being crushed, destroyed. We can't be, we may be, feel like the enemy is coming in on every side, that we're hopeless, that we're helpless, but our God overrules the enemy in every aspect of our lives, and so therefore, he upholds those so they do not fall. Amen. Yes. He will protect us and meet our needs. And this is David who's writing this. And David did some bad things and some good things and faced trial. And he's saying, through it all, my God kept me from falling. Mm -hmm. While living in uh, caves, running for my life, God kept me from falling. Amen. Right? right? I mean, it's David who wrote, I never saw the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. That Amen. means something coming from someone who lived Amen. life in caves and in the wilderness and led a band of outlaws. Right. right, that means something uh, from somebody who lived uh, bad experiences and had his share of grief and pain and hurt and questions for God. Again, Psalms is questions. God, why? God, protect. God, help. Mm -hmm. Right? So for him to say, the Lord up upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. He's saying, if you humble yourself and I humble myself, God will... Exalt us and raise us up. Yes, he and he knew that. Yes. He humbled himself before God when he, he committed 
the, the one thing that, 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 that everyone points to. The man after God's own heart. When he sinned with Bathsheba. He asked God to have mercy. He showed not just a, a, a repentance in his words, but repentance in his heart. God saw his heart and knew he was so very, very sorry for what he had done. He humbled himself and he could write here. That when you bow yourself low, God will lift you up. That means he will forgive you. Amen. He will have mercy upon you and me. Yes. And for that, he deserves to be worshipped and honored and praised. Amen. He says the eyes of all, they look expectantly to you. For he is our source. Right. He is our everything. Yes. He says you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He takes care of us. He meets our needs. Maybe not in the way that you and I want or the way you and I desire, but he does meet our needs. Amen. Amen. He makes sure that our needs are met, and for that he deserves to be worshipped. Yes. Let your children know when God meets your needs. Amen. Amen. My kids still talk about the time that they were on the, uh, the toll road, and, and mom didn't have money to pay the toll. And she prayed and asked God for money to pay the toll, and the money showed up. Right? My it's right there on the ground. She 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 prayed in front of the kids, and the kids still talk about it. Right? There was a need. She prayed. God met the need. And my kids still talk about how God answered that prayer. Right? Worship him. Give him honor when he meets our needs. Even when it's not the way that we wanted him to. Mm -hmm. When he meets the need. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his works. The Lord is dear to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. If you and I call upon God, if we call upon him with a pure heart, if we call upon him with pure motivation, with pure motives, he will hear us. Yes. And he is close to everyone, close to everyone who is his child. Amen. There's never a moment that you and I are alone. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and the Father is ever present everywhere at all times. Amen. We're never truly alone. The devil right. may try to make us feel alone. Amen. Circumstances may make us feel alone. But you and I are not alone because he is righteous in all of his ways and he's gracious in all of his works. Yes. God is perfect. God is holy. He's Amen. not like man that he would ever let us down, forsake us. He's not fickle. He doesn't get his feelings hurt. He, do you see what I'm saying? Like, like, like he's not like man. He's righteous. He's holy. Yes. He's different. And that's why he's with us. Amen. That's right. He's gracious. He's merciful, which is why he's long-suffering. Right. And he puts up with all the nonsense. Right. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him, and he will also hear the cry and save him. Lord perseveres, or preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all the flesh shall uh, bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. As we look at this song, take it home and read it throughout this week. And every day, I want you, as you go through it, to think about what God has done for you and the memory of what he's done for you. Start a prayer journal this week and write down your requests. Write down the answers that you know that he's answered. Get it 
in the journal, not for you, but for future generations. That one day, when you're gone and your kids go through your stuff, they find your prayer journals and they begin to read them. And they will see, like the book of Psalms, they will see when you hurt, but then when God answered. They will see when you were suffering, but then God was there. They will be able to read your legacy and pass it down to the next generation. Do you know what I'm saying? Go through this book. Or the, the, this chapter this week, Psalm 145. And as you go through, go through it piece by piece like we did. And give glory and honor and worship your Father because He deserves it. Amen. Amen. Because what the psalmist wrote here all those thousands of years ago is still true today. Amen. Because God never changes. Amen. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow, forever, for eternity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.